Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome, um, each and every one of you. And I want you to know that from the bottom of my heart. No matter where you are in your life or your faith journey, no matter how you find yourself in this place today, you are 100% welcome, just the way you are. And we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're studying the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 10 today. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, we'll be looking at verse 23 and following. Today, I want to talk to you about the problem with being rich. The problem with being rich. Now, uh, we, we have problems in our world. We, we live in America in 2022, uh, which is crazy to think that it's 2022 already, but here we are. And uh, we have problems. But a lot of our problems are first world problems. You get that, right? They're first world problems. I'll give you some examples. I was scrolling on Facebook. I saw a couple of first world problems. Maybe you can relate to this. Uh, one person said, my neighborhood Starbucks doesn't have a drive through so I have to change out of my pajamas to get my morning coffee. It's first world problems. Here's another one. I dropped some popcorn on the floor, but my dog doesn't like popcorn, and the Roomba is charging, so I had to pick it up myself. Those are first world problems. Not really problems at all. We're just spoiled, right? We're spoiled, and we don't like any inconvenience. But when you kind of look at the way the rest of the world lives, I was watching a documentary recently about Nambia. And in Nambia, on the edge of a river there, under a bridge, is one of the largest slums in the world. There's like 200, 300,000 people that live in this slum. Half of the slum is built in the river on stilts, these shacks that people live in. They have bathrooms there, uh, but the bathrooms are like an outhouse. Can you guess where the waste goes? Into the river. Uh, also, as I'm watching this documentary, you see all sorts of kids diving into this river, and they're just swimming in it. And you, you see stuff like that, and it makes you feel guilty for complaining about anything that you've got going on in your life, doesn't it? But the great late theologian, Biggie Smalls, you guys know that theologian, you've heard of him? He once said, mo money, mo problems. It may surprise you today to learn that Jesus probably agrees with that statement. Mo money, mo problems. Uh, the last time we were in Mark, it's been about six weeks ago, we, we talked about um, who we know, we never learned his name, but we know of him as the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler... Uh, Jesus was in his town, and he heard about Jesus. He knew Jesus was a man of God, and he had a lot of answers. He had a lot of wisdom. And so this rich young ruler, he comes and he kneels at Jesus' feet, and he calls Jesus good. And he says, good teacher, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? Now, this is what he's talking about. He said, how can I be saved? And Jesus says, well, follow the commandments. And he said, I've done that since I was little. I've always followed all the commandments. And Jesus said, okay, well, you like one thing. Go and sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. At which point the Bible says that this man, this rich young ruler, he went away sad because the Bible says he had many possessions. And, and what I told you that Sunday, and this may be the case for many of us today, it wasn't just that he had many possessions, it's that many possessions had him. As he walks away, Jesus makes these statements. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God because all 
things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this place and for these people. Lord, we come to you, we close our eyes, we bow our heads because we long for more of you. Lord, we, we acknowledge that we're weak and we're frail and we can't do this on our own. And Lord, we also acknowledge that as we look back on our past, all the good things that we have, they've come from you. And so we come today, Lord, to connect with you in a deeper, more meaningful way. Lord, that we, we might be more what you want us to be. So, Father, I pray in our time together that you'll speak through me. I'm a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I'm, I'm no better than any person that's in this room or any person that's watching online. And so these people, they don't need anything from me. They need a word from you. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way in this place. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer or something like this. You can pray it out loud or pray it silently. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In Mark 10, 23, Jesus looks around at his disciples. The rich young ruler is walking away. They're flabbergasted by this, you know, because this is a man uh, who has it all together. He's, he's a moral man. He went to Sunday school. He knows all the Bible answers, and he's, he does things the right way. He doesn't lie or cheat or steal. He's never killed anybody. He's, he's a moral person. And, and then on top of that, uh, his peers have nominated him to be a leader in the local church. And so this is a man that's got it all together. This is a man that you'd love to go into business with. This is the type of man that you would, you would nominate to be a leader in your church. This is the type of man, if you had a daughter, you'd be okay with your daughter marrying this man. And, and so as he is confronted, Jesus puts him in this space where he's got to choose. It's either me or it's your stuff. Jesus says, it's either me or it's your stuff. And the man picks his stuff. He walks away. And the disciples are flabbergasted by it. And so Jesus, this is what he says. He says, it's hard. It is so hard for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard. Now, some of you, you hear that statement. You're like, yeah, it is. I agree with that. Because we've been programmed that the day and age that we're living in, we've been programmed to have a distaste for wealthy people. Now, when I say wealthy people, this is how we define that statement. Anybody that's got more than me. They're wealthy. I'm poor. These people are wealthy, right? And so we kind of have a distaste for those people. We've been programmed that way. Recently, AOC, who's a politician, really popular politician, uh, she recently went to an ultra-exclusive, ultra-expensive uh, gala. It's called the Met Gala. Only the, the elites of the elite get invited to this, and you've got to pay a lot of money. And she wore a designer dress. Probably cost ten, fifteen thousand dollars the dress itself. On the dress, it said, tax the rich. Tax the rich. There's another senator, and she recently came after uh, Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. She came after him on Twitter, and uh, she said, pay your fair share. Even though this year, in taxes, he's going to pay the largest tax bill in the history of the United States. And so we've kind of been programmed to have a distaste, because this is what we think about really wealthy people, people that are richer than me. You know, I'm poor, they're rich. And this is what we think about those people. We think, you know... They're probably really arrogant, and they're probably really greedy, 
And, uh, you know, they're, they're probably really selfish. And I bet they got all their money because they lie and they cheat and they steal. And, and you know, if I went to them and I asked for them for something, they don't ever give me any of their money that they got by lying and cheating and stealing, so they're no good for nothing. And so we might, some of you, you might be here today and agreeing with Jesus' statement, it's hard for a wealthy people, a wealthy person, to get to heaven. But you know, ancient people, they didn't think like that. They didn't think like that at all. Look at verse 24. The disciples were astonished at his words. They heard this, that it's, it's hard for a wealthy pe- person to get to heaven, and they, they, were, they were flabbergasted by that. They were astonished. Why? Well, there's a couple beliefs that they had in, in that day and age. Uh, number one, they believed that wealth was a sign that God favored you, that you were in good standing with God, which kind of makes sense. You know, in our little demented mind, we, we can kind of see that. I, I recently saw an interview of Jake Paul. You guys know who Jake Paul is? He's a YouTube celebrity, and he's a major turd, if you don't know. He's a major turd. And he was being interviewed, uh, and in the interview, somebody basically asked him about why he acts like a turd all the time, and this is what he said. He justified his behavior. He said, look at all my success. Look how much money I have. Look how many followers I have. He says, if I was doing something wrong, then I wouldn't be so successful. You know, because this is kind of the way we think. We kind of think, well, the universe or God, or karma, if I was doing something wrong, then it wouldn't reward me with all of these good things. It's kind of the way some people, some people think. That's how the ancient people saw the world. On top of that, really wealthy people in this day and age, they could purchase what was known as alms. alms. Now, alms are basically where you pay uh, money to a religious institution, and that religious institution will forgive you of all your sins. Now, this was a big deal in that day and age, and this was a very common practice. Uh, there's a couple of ancient documents, religious documents, that the Jewish people were really in tune to. And, and here are a couple of statements from those documents, uh, from the Talbot. It is good to do alms rather than treasure up gold, for alms deliver from death, and this will purge away every sin. This is the way they looked at the world. You, you just pay money to the church, and all your sins are forgiven. Uh, in the Talmud, it's, it, it goes this way. It, it says this statement. This is something that... Jewish Jesus' followers would have been familiar with. Almsgiving is more excellent than all offerings and is equal to the whole law. Basically saying if you give to the church, that's the same as following all of the God's commandments. And so in the disciples' minds, rich people were in a closer connection. They were closer, nearer to the kingdom than poorer people. Jesus says, though, he says it's hard to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard, just in general, for everybody. Uh, what, what, what's the statement that Jesus famously said? Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. And how many will find it? Many will find it. Most people are walking on this. It's an easy road. It's, it's paved real nice. There's no snow on this road. And if snow ever comes down, they get it off real quick. No sliding around. No getting stuck on the interstate on this road. It's broad. It's wide. But narrow the gate and narrow the way, difficult the way that leads to life. And how many will find it? Phew. Jesus says it is hard for anybody to enter the kingdom of God, especially for a wealthy person. Look at verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus uses an analogy to help people to see how difficult it is for somebody that has money, for somebody that has wealth, how difficult it is for them to enter the kingdom of God. He takes the biggest animal that his people are familiar with, a camel, and he takes the smallest opening that they'd be familiar with, the eye, the hole in in the tip of a needle, 
And he says, it will be easier for you to take this giant animal and squeeze it through this little tiny hole than it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's hard for me to get a piece of thread through the little, right? Much less a giant camel. Jesus says, Jesus says, is, now, this is, this, at this point, at this point, many of you are thinking to yourself, well, thank God, I'm not rich. Here's the problem with that. Don't argue with me. You are rich. Each and every person in this room, every person that lives in America is rich. Let me prove it to you. Some of you don't believe me. You're not Elon Musk rich. You're not Bill Gates rich. You're not Jeff Bezos rich. You're not that rich. But in comparison to the rest of the world, comparison to all of history, you are very, very, very wealthy. On an income scale, if you just make minimum wage, that's it. Minimum wage in America works out to about $15,000 a year. If that's all you make, you are in the top 10 income earners in the world. If you make $50,000 a year, just $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of income earners in the world today. Let's talk about net worth. If you add up all of your possessions, how much is it worth? If you just have $1,000 in net worth, and let me tell you something, every teenager in here that has an iPhone has $1,000 in net worth, okay? If you just have $1,000 in net worth, you are in the top 69% of the wealthiest people on the planet. Just $1,000. If you have $100,000 in net worth, guess how much? You are in the top 9% wealthiest people in the, on, on the earth. If you have $250,000 of a net worth, many of you, you sh- if you sold your home today, in one of the worst subdivisions in Clark County, you would have $250,000. You are in the top 5% wealthiest people on the planet. And so this passage today, this is what we like to do. We like to hear Jesus' word and think that's for somebody else. That's for my bougie neighbor. You know, They have a new car every other year. It's for them. It's for the, that, that person I work with that carries a new coach person around every day. It's for, it's for the person that has the vacation home and has the boat on the lake. It's for those people. And I'm telling you today, Jesus is talking to you. You are rich. At which point, you should be asking the same question the disciples are asking, verse 26. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? If the rich young ruler can't be saved... Because he, he followed all the rules. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't steal. He lived a very noble life. And on top of living a noble life, his peers nominated him to be a leader in their synagogue. This is a very, very admirable, respectable man. If, and he can buy alms. He can pay for the forgiveness of his sins. If this guy can't be saved, who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it is impossible. With man, under our own strength, if we try to will ourselves to, to do the right things and, and, and put everything in its proper priorities, with man, Jesus says, under his own strength, under his own ability, trying to make himself acceptable in God's sight, with man being rich and entering the kingdom of heaven, it is impossible. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's because wealth has an irresistible power to corrupt your heart. Let's look real quick at Luke chapter 12. Turn in your Bibles if you brought one to Luke chapter 12. 
In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus tells his disciples, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. Now, Jesus is saying something that's totally countercultural, even to this day. Our world is telling us life does consist of an abundance of possessions, isn't it? You know, that when we're going to school, what does your teacher say? Your teacher says you need to stay in school and get a good education so you can get a good job and make a lot of money. Because the way that our world is structured is to say, okay, making a lot of money, having a lot of stuff, that is what success is. Your Facebook feed is constantly telling you that life consists of an abundance of possessions. So you're comparing your life to, to everybody else's highlight reel. And the reason that they can go on vacation is because they have the money to go on vacation. The reason that they can afford the nice new $70,000 car is because they got a lot of money or they got a lot of credit. The reason, and so this, and we compare, we compare the quality of our life to the quality of theirs, and, and it's all stacked up by who has the most stuff. And, and then also on your Facebook feed, you're talking to your friend about um, the new switch. You know, this Nintendo device, which I got one for my kids, and they love it, okay? And so you're talking, and now all of a sudden you're getting all these ads for Switch games, right? You're getting all these ads for these Nintendo products because Facebook is listening to you. And this is what Facebook is telling you. This is what our world is telling you. If you have more of this stuff, you'll have more life. But Jesus says, no, that's, that's not how things actually are. Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Verse 16, he tells them a parable about what a life looks like when you make it about the abundance of possessions. Verse 16, he tells them this parable. A rich man, a rich man's land was productive. Now let's stop right there. This man, uh, he has some land and it produces a, a really, really great crop. Okay? Or, or let's say he had a business and the business takes off and he's making a lot of money. This man has not sinned. It is not a sin to be successful. It's not a sin to make money. It's what you do with a success that determines whether this is a vice or a virtue. Keep reading verse 17. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. It's not the abundance that makes it sinful. It's not the abundance that makes it wrong. It's what he does with the abundance. It's what he does with the success. It's what he does with the blessings. He's selfish and he's greedy. At no point does he think about anybody else in this process. He does not bless anyone with the blessings that he's been given. Ultimately, this man bases his identity and his security on his material possessions. He says, I'll say to myself, in other words, when I think about my position and my place in this world, when I think about who I am, I'll say, you've got goods stored up for many years. I'll say to myself, I'll think about myself, you are rich. And because you are rich, guess what? You are secure. And because you are secure, that means that you can just enjoy your life. You see, riches lie to you. Money says, the more of me you have, the more of life you have. Wealth says, salvation is security. And I, wealth, is the only thing that can give you that level of security. Abundance says, I am worth 
whatever you have to sacrifice in order to get more of me. If you need to sacrifice time with your kids and your wife, go for it. I'm worth it. If you need to sacrifice your character and your morals in order to get the promotion at work, go for it because I'm worth it. What I can buy you, what I can give you, the security, the pleasure, it's going to be worth it. You need to stab somebody in the back, stab in the back. Whatever you got to do, you got to lie, you got to cheat, you got to steal, whatever you got to do to get more of me, sell your soul, sell your soul, and I'll give you the world. That's what, that's what, that's what, uh, wealth does, it lies to us. But look what Jesus says, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. Listen, friends. It's a foolish way to live. It's a foolish way to live. To base your whole life on, on the material possessions that you can accumulate. Do you know what? I have never, not once, seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Think about that. I have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You know why? Because you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. All these things that you're working towards, all these things that you think make your life a success or a failure, those things will be taken from you. You fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus said this is a foolish way to live. Short-sighted because our earthly life is just a mist. It's a vapor. It's the blink of an eye. It comes and goes. And if all you live for is the things of this world, you are doomed. You're doomed. Life does not consist, Jesus says. It isn't about the abundance of possessions. Verse 21. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The sin is not being rich. That's not the sin. The sin is not being rich towards God. Do you see the distinction? The sin is not being rich. It's not that you have abundance. It's not that you've been blessed. It's not that you've been successful. That's not the sin. It's what you do with that abundance. It's what you do with that blessing. You are rich. Don't argue with me. You are. The question today is not, are you rich? The question is, are you rich towards God? Are you rich towards God? So what does that look like? Abraham and his brother Lot, they were settling in the land of Canaan. And uh, they were both very wealthy. They had countless livestock. In, in the process of settling in this land, uh, their herdsmen, uh, kind of their, their chief uh, laborers, uh, they have a dispute about land rights. So they're having an argument. So Abraham, being the older brother, he comes to his brother a lot, and he takes him to a high place so that they can look over the land. They're going to survey the land. They get up to this high place, and they look over the land, and Abraham says to his brother, you take the first pick. He's the older brother, but he says, you take, you take the first pick. And so Lot looks over the land. On one side is this really lush and green and fertile land. It's beautiful. On the other side is a desert. What, what's, what land do you think Lot picked? He got the lush, he got the green, he got the prosperous land, right? And so Abraham is stuck with the desert. But do you know that Abraham didn't complain? He didn't argue. Instead, he generously let his brother have the first pick. How, how was he able to do that? Because Abraham was convinced that God Almighty, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, would take care of every single one of his needs. That is being rich towards God. There's a man in the New Testament. We only hear about him in one place. It's on the day Jesus was executed. His name is Joseph of Arimathea, and the Bible says that he was wealthy. 
He's very wealthy. And so Jesus dies, and, and typically what happens when somebody dies on a cross is they leave their body there. This is part of the reason that uh, the Romans would execute people on a crucifixion. It was a deterrent to other criminals. And so they would leave their body there just hanging for days and days and days. And so crows and vultures and different animals would come by and they would eat the body. So this man, Joseph of Arimathea, he, he, he got very brave and he went to the, um, the authorities and he said, can I have the body? So he takes Jesus' body off of the cross and he prepares it very quickly because Sabbath is coming. And so he prepares it very quickly. And then he takes Jesus' body and he goes and he goes to his own burial plot. Now on that day, it was very, very, very expensive to carve out. They would carve out caves and they would bury people in these caves. It was very, very expensive. This was Joseph's family's personal burial chamber. It costs a lot of money. And Joseph, he, he takes this chamber that was for he and his family that cost them a lot of money, and he gives it to Jesus. He places Jesus' dead body in this burial chamber. And so Joseph of Arimathea, he was known not for what he accumulated in this life. He is known to this day for what he gave away. That is being rich towards God. People from all over were gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. This was after Jesus had died and ascended to heaven. And uh, there at Pentecost, there's, there's people everywhere. There's maybe two, three, four hundred thousand 400,000 people in the city of Jerusalem. While they're there, Peter, he stands up in the street and he preaches the very first Christian sermon. And, and the people hear the sermon. The Bible says they're cut to the heart. And they repent of their sins and they believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. The Bible says 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Now these people, they came from all over. And they came to Jerusalem just for a short period of time. And then they were supposed to go back home. But they didn't want to go back home after they had received Jesus as their Lord. Because there was no Christian, there were no Christians in their hometown. There were no churches in their hometown. And so they wanted to stay here in Jerusalem so that they could learn from the apostles and so they could be with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they all start just kind of camping out, just finding lodging wherever they can find. But they ran out of money. And so they're, they're struggling to find food. They're struggling to find a place to stay. They don't have the money to afford to stay in Jerusalem and be taught by the apostles. Well, there's a man named Barnabas who lived in the area, and he's part of this church family. He says to himself, well, i got this field over here, and I mean, I don't really, uh, you know, it's benefiting me, but I'm going to sell it. And so he sells the field, and he takes all the proceeds from the field to the church so that the church can distribute it among all these people who are trying to stay in Jerusalem so that they can grow in their faith. That is being rich towards God. Jesus came to, or the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and, and Jesus says, do you want to inherit eternal life? Sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow me. He refused, and he walked away because he was bankrupt towards God. He loved his things more than he loved Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, he said, leave your nets. Peter was a fisherman. He said, leave your nets and your boats and come follow me. Immediately, the Bible says, Peter dropped the nets. He gets out of the boat, and he begins to follow Jesus. Why? Because Peter was willing to lose it all in order to have Jesus. That is being rich towards God. I wonder today, what would you do? Jesus comes to you today, and he says, I want you to sell everything. Sell your house, your business, your clothes, your car, all your jewelry, all your gadgets. Sell it all. and Come follow me in ministry. What would you do? And many of us, we think, because we like to think pretty highly of ourselves, we think, yeah, of course I'd do that. 
But what about your current lifestyle makes you believe that you'd actually make that choice? I think we all need to realize today that what Jesus is asking is impossible for men. It's impossible. It's impossible to not get caught up in the world we're living in. It's impossible to not get caught up in chasing paper. You know, always looking for the next pleasurable possession or event or experience. It's impossible to not get caught up. It's impossible to not love the things of this world because they're so shiny and they taste so good and they're so efficient and they're so helpful, right? To lose your cell phone. How many of you have lost, you, you left your cell phone somewhere, you're like freaking out. It's like, oh no, where's my cell phone? Why? Because they're so helpful, right? It's impossible for us to not love the things of this world. But what is impossible for us under our own strength, it is possible with God. And so what I would encourage each and every one of you to do today is get on your knees and ask God to change your heart. Ask him to help you to love him more than you love the things of this world. And as you begin to walk down this path, and it's not that I'm there yet, but I'm trying to walk down this path and, and the more that I walk down this path, the more that we walk down this path, the more that we're going to ask the question that Peter asked Jesus. Verse 28, Peter began to tell him, look, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. In other words, Jesus, what about me? I, I gave up my house. I gave up my business. I, I gave up all these experiences. I've been walking around with you for three years. What do I get out of the deal? And you're going to ask that question because following Jesus costs you something. It's not easy. It's hard. You're going to have to give up things in order to follow Jesus. And there's going to be times that it feels like it's not worth it. There's going to be times it feels like that you're getting a bad deal. Look what Jesus says. Truly, verse 29, truly, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake, for the sake of the gospel. Jesus acknowledges that following him is going to cost you something. In Jesus' day, his followers were losing their homes. Their families were disowning them. Their children were forsaking them because they were, they were worshiping this man named Jesus that died on the cross. It didn't make sense for their family. Their family would disown them. Many of them would lose their businesses. They'd lose everything. Friends, as our world becomes increasingly hostile towards our Lord and towards the church, following Jesus is going to cost you something. I'll talk to you more about this next week, but there are things happening in Canada just across the border that would blow your mind as to religious freedom in Canada. Blow your mind what's going on there. Some of you, because you affirm Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's all it takes, because when you affirm Jesus Christ is Lord, this is what you're saying, nothing else is Lord. PC culture is not Lord. The government is not Lord. There is nothing else on this planet that is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you affirm that, many of you in our lifetime, you will be threatened to lose your job. Some of you, you will lose the right to go to family holiday dinner. Some of you, you may lose your possessions. You may lose the right to freely walk around society. And I'm going to say something, and I don't want you to feel like this is manipulation or guilt. This does not come from a place of our church is in need financially. It's none of those things. I want you to think about this spiritually. I want you to connect these dots. If you don't love and trust Jesus enough, to pay a tithe to church now when things are easy and you're living in abundance, if you don't love and trust Jesus enough to sacrifice now 
What makes you think when it actually costs you something then that you'll make the right choice? No, don't mishear me. Jesus doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He took five loaves of bread and he fed five thousand. He fed a multitude, five thousand people with five loaves. Uh, he spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. Jesus needs nothing from you. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So many people that go to church, so many people that claim to be Christians, they're setting themselves up to be just like the rich young ruler. You know, they, they do everything. They're by the book. They're very moral. They're very kind. They're very respectable. But at the heart of the matter, they love the things of this world more than they love Jesus. They've invested in their retirement but not invested in eternity. If that's you, when you get to the fork in the road, when following Jesus actually is going to cost you something, when Jesus puts you in that dilemma where you have to say, it's either Jesus or it's your stuff, then guess what? Many of you, you're setting yourself up to walk away. Count the cost. Following Jesus is not easy, but here's the promise. Verse 30. Okay, you left house, you left home, you left... Uh, brother, sister, mother, fields. Jesus says, you will receive a hundred times more. Now, at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, with persecution. It's going to cost you something, but you'll receive a hundred times more now at this time and eternal life in the age to come. Now, let me pause right there. Our, our life is going to be difficult there's going to be sacrifices that you have to make, but this is the promise that the Lord has given us. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The Bible says that our life is but a blink of an eye. Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a blink? A blink. Have you ever had a blink so incredible, so amazing that you would exchange the rest of your life for it? Anybody? Anybody going to make that trade? The Bible says that our life, the 60, 70, 80, 100 years that we get on this planet, is but a blink in comparison to eternity. If you have to give that blink away in order to have the goodness of the Lord forever, that is the best deal you could ever make. Amen? And so, yeah, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to cost you something, but this is what Jesus is saying. It's worth it. Eternal life is worth it. But it's not just eternal life, friends. Jesus says, now, at this time, there's a blessing. There's a reward. Even now, a hundred times more, you lost a house. What does Jesus say? You lost a house, but you will gain houses. You lost a brother, but you will gain brothers. You lost a sister, you will gain sisters. You lost a mother, you will gain mothers. You lost a field, you will gain fields. God called me into ministry. I was 17-ish, and I fought him on it. I told him no initially. I was like, I'm not doing that. Because I wanted to be rich. And all the preachers I know, they're poor, right? <laughs> I, want, I wanted to... You know, a lake house and a beach house and a fancy car. I had my car picked out. Fancy, shiny car. That's what I wanted. So I was planning. I was like, Lord, I'd rather be a doctor or a lawyer or a professional wrestler because they make money. 
I don't have the stature for the wrestling. I can't stand blood, so the doctor wasn't going to work. But I think I make a good lawyer. Erica's saying, yeah, I make a good lawyer. Okay, so, so I kept arguing with God on this. And over about six months, God's just working on me. I'm in the scriptures, I'm praying, and he's whispering this to me over and over again. All the sermons were driving this point home. I'm having conversations with people a lot wiser than me. And this is what the Lord kept whispering to me over and over and over again. He says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Jesus once said, he said, what father among you, if if your son asks for a piece of bread, you give him a snake instead. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven take care of every single one of your needs? I found that to be true in my life. I may never own a vacation home. I'll probably never buy a brand new car. I may never even retire. But you know what? I've got a faith family. And that's worth more than all the gold in the world. Because this is what I know. If, if I ever lose my house for some reason, I have a hundred houses that will be open to me. If I ever lose my ability to make an income, I will have a hundred fields offered to me to put food on my kid's table. I, I, I don't just have a brother and a sister, Maria and Jordan. I have a lot of brothers and a lot of sisters. I don't just have a mother. I have all sorts of mothers and all sorts of grandmothers. I am loved, and I'll be taken care of because I'm part of a faith family. And so here's the vision that the Lord has given us, and we're we're really trying to adopt this as our church, and I think every church, this is what God had in mind. Correct me if I'm wrong, not now after service. This is what I think the Lord had in mind, that we be a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, faithful-to-death church family, a family, such that new believers don't ever have to feel lonely because they have to give up all their secular friends because they've made 100 new friends at church, such that You don't have to worry about losing your corporate job because you you refuse to sign some woke document that makes you disown Christ. You don't have to worry about losing your corporate job because you know there's somebody in this faith family that will give you a job and you will be able to put food on your table. You don't have to worry about losing it all for Christ because you know as long as you're part of this faith family, you'll have a roof over your head, you'll have food in your belly, you'll have clothes on your back. And so here's the charge today. It's not that we sell all our possessions and we all become impoverished and poor. That's not the the charge today. I'm actually praying, I'm actually hoping that many of you, you will serve everything you do, you will do it as you are working for the Lord. You will do everything you do with excellence. And let me tell you something. If you do everything you do as if you're serving the Lord, you will be prosperous. Your business will explode in success. You will get promoted if you do everything that you do according to the Lord. And so I am praying that there are some multimillionaires that pop up in this church. Not so that you can have the nicest house in Winchester. Not so that you can drive the nicest car in Winchester. But so that we, as a church, can be the most generous church in Winchester. What what would be different about your life? If instead of you praying, Lord, bless me, 
you started praying, Lord, help me to be a blessing. That's being rich towards God. Verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So this is what Jesus is saying, concluding remark. He said, I've come to establish a kingdom that's an upside-down kingdom. The world tells you that success is the accumulation of stuff. The person with the most stuff at the, at the end, they win. That's what our world's telling us. That the more money you have, the more stuff you have, the better life you'll have. Jesus says, I've come to establish an upside-down kingdom. A kingdom where the, the people that look like they're the first in the world, the rich young rulers of the world, we don't even know their name. They're the last. But people like Peter, who's a poor fisherman, uneducated, never amounted to much as far as the world's concerned. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we all know his name. Why? Because he trusted God with everything. Because he left it all behind, and he followed Jesus wherever Jesus would lead him. Where where, uh, Jesus is, is establishing an economy where Abraham is more blessed than his brother Lot. Even though Abraham is tending a flock on the desert land. You know what that tells me? That tells me God always takes care of his people. Uh, Jesus is establishing an economy, an upside-down kingdom, in which there's a lady, a little old widow lady, and all she has to her name is two copper coins. And she comes to the temple, and she drops those two copper coins into the offering. And Jesus looks at her, and he said, she is greater than all the Pharisees who took bags of gold and put it in the offering plate. Why? Because she gave all she had. It's an upside-down. The world is not telling you this. Our world is telling you the opposite of this, but this is what Jesus is saying. You want to live a great life? You want to save your life? Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. How are we going to do that? I don't know. I really don't. I pray about it. I'm like, Lord, give me a program that I can put in place that will make all these people love each other like their blood. Love each other so much that they will be willing to do whatever they could to take care of one another. Lord, give me a program like that. And it makes my eyes twitch. I've got all this gray hair coming up. I'm gaining weight. It's impossible. That's what I figured out. It's impossible. I can't do it. But what is impossible with man, it is possible with God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll change our hearts. Help us to love you more than we love the things of this world. Kill the selfishness and the pride and the greed that lives in us. Raise us to a new level of selflessness and humility and generosity. May we trust you with everything we have. May we be faithful in the small things. May we believe that you will bless us with even greater things. And may we take our blessings and be rich towards you and be generous towards our brothers and sisters in Christ for your glory and for their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of celebration and invitation. This is an opportunity for you to be prayed for. Uh, Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If you're here today and you encountered an impossible situation, will you please let me pray for you? I'd be so honored to agree with you in prayer. On either side of the stage, we have emblems. Uh, It's a piece of cracker and a juice. These represent the body and the blood of Christ. On the cross, cross, Jesus became poor. 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, the owner of heaven and earth, he gave it all away. Everything was taken from him. His dignity. Do you know that they hang Jesus on the cross naked? They ripped the clothes that he had on his back. They took it off of him. They took it off of him. And he hung there naked. All of his friends left him. Jesus had nothing as he hung on that cross. You couldn't be any more poor than Jesus was in that moment. And then they took his life. But three days later, he came back from the grave as if to say, as if to say, do you want life, life eternal? Give it away. I'll take care of you. I'll raise you. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. As you take these emblems, rest in that reality. Drink it in and allow it to live through you. As we sing this song,